Hi, Jim Roddy here from the RSPA sharing some pre-podcast information with you, and it's all good news. Registration is now open for Retail Now 2023, the Retail Technology Channel's number one trade show, education conference, and networking event. Join RSPA and Retail IT Channel leaders live and in person July 30th through August 1st at the Gaylord Palms Resort and Convention Center in Orlando. With nearly 200 exhibitors, Retail Now is one-stop shopping for VARs and ISVs. With an expected 1,500 or more attendees, it's the place for extreme industry connectivity. Across just 48 hours, you'll meet new partners and new solution providers who can accelerate the success of your business. If you're serious about the Retail IT channel, you have to attend Retail Now 2023. It's where the industry meets. For all the details and to register at discounted early bird rates, visit the Retail Now website today at gorspa.org forward slash retail now. Again, that's gorspa.org forward slash retail now i hope to see you there and i hope you enjoy this episode which is in part a sneak preview of a marketing breakout session at retail now enjoy welcome to a special episode of the trusted advisor podcast and video series powered by the retail solutions providers association i'm ayana scriven the marketing manager here at the rspa and i'll be your guest host for today our goal on the pod is to accelerate the success of today's and tomorrow's leaders in the retail IT industry. In this episode, we'll discuss marketing myths, mistakes, and mastery with the two of, our, of my RSPA colleagues. Chris Arnold is the RSPA Director of Marketing and Strategic Relationships. He's been a member of the RSPA team since 2017. One of his jobs is serving as the producer for the Trusted Advisor podcast. Hi, Chris. Welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And our second guest is the normal host of this podcast, RSPA President and CEO, Jim Roddy. Jim, welcome to your podcast as well. Great to be here, Ayana. Thank you. Appreciate you uh, stepping in and, and guest hosting for this. For our audience, who's usually used to hearing me uh, kick off the podcast. Uh, what we're doing is uh, a couple things. One, uh, delegation, right? We're always looking to uh, delegate inside the RSPA staff. And one of the things that that uh, entails is I do a lot of moderating for panels, especially at retail now, uh, but Ayana would like to be able to moderate some panels as well. And instead of saying, you know, oh, go do this panel, here's some questions, get up on stage, cross your fingers and hope, hope you do well, uh, we're using this podcast as a delegation tool where we've been preparing for this podcast and we're going to have a very similar panel at retail now albeit with two better looking guests uh, than what we have than what Aon is dealing with right now we'll bring some RSPA members to talk about uh, marketing myths mistakes and mastery and if you're really into delegation since you're listening to this episode um, we did uh, put together a white paper that is called delegate or die you can just get that on the RSPA website but again Again, we wanted this to be a tool in a controlled environment to give Ayana uh, some practice before she is live on the stage at Retail Now. So that's why you're seeing kind of a reversal of roles here. So uh, Ayana, welcome to our podcast and uh, back to you. Looking forward to uh, answering your questions. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right, well, we're going to get into things. So again, our topic is marketing myths, mistakes, and mastery. So let's start with two myths. The first myth is social media is ineffective because it doesn't always lead to direct sales. The second myth on the other end of the spectrum is social media is the 
future be all end all of marketing. So let's get a reality check. Talk about how much energy and resources you invest in social media. Uh, Chris, can you take the first one? Yeah, absolutely. Be happy to. Um, yeah, when you're talking about social media, uh, the way we like to look at it here at the RSPA is kind of social media is a great visibility opportunity. Uh, it's a great opportunity to speak to a large mass of audience um, and let them know that you're alive, especially as we come in out of the pandemic. A lot of businesses, unfortunately, weren't able to make it. Um, but one way that we're able to broadcast and let everyone know that we, we're still alive and doing well is social media. So um, it, it gives us that opportunity to talk not only to our members, but to prospective members as well. Um, while we don't see um, personally a lot of actions or registrations or people reaching out to sign up for membership from social media, um, as we all know in the sales and marketing world, it takes usually at least 10 touch points um, to get to that audience and, and to make a sale. So what we try to do is use social media to, to capitalize on those 10 plus touch points. Um, and then when you're talking about from a resource and, and kind of a time scheduling here at the RSPA, we kind of like to, to use automation to a, to our advantage, um, but we also make sure that we're not losing our personal touch. Um, so what we like to do is use a tool called Social Pilot. Um, and usually at the beginning of each week, Ayana or myself will spend a few hours every uh, Monday morning scheduling out all of our social media across all of our platforms. Um, so uh, it, it's a really good tool. There's a lot of tools out there like it. Um, if you've ever used Social Pilot, Hootsuite, and, and many more, it's it can save you a lot of time and you can still keep that personal touch while saving a lot of time. And how would you determine which platforms are, are most valuable? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's um, knowing, knowing your target audience and, and knowing where they're at. Um, for us, we're more of a business-to-business -business organization. So for us, our sweet spots have always been in in LinkedIn and, and mostly across Twitter. Um, but in a business to consumer world, I, I would say that those people are probably on the Facebook, Instagram and Twitter's of the world. Uh, so I think it's just knowing your audience and knowing where they're gonna be. Um, we we try to be everywhere um, and, and we use the tools to our advantage to be there because uh, currently we see most of our traction on LinkedIn, but we wanna, we wanna stay ahead and make sure that we're gonna be in the right places at the right time. Absolutely. Thank you. And, and Jim, what are your thoughts on those myths? Yeah. So he said that myth about social media being ineffective because it doesn't directly lead to a sale. The analogy that I've always used is when somebody's getting married, right? When the last thing before somebody says, yes, I will marry you is that you're giving them a ring, right? That's traditionally how, you know, it's worked in, uh, in the Western world for a long time. But then people said, if you would look at that the way a lot of people look at marketing, they're like, well, I should just be handing out rings to people. Everything else before that means absolutely nothing in the world. But I always say, try skipping that person's birthday or Valentine's day or being there, you know, when, when, when they need you. So from a marketing standpoint, you never, know what goes into building your brand or awareness or like Chris said, what are the touch points that ultimately lead to that final um, you know, action that you want them to take. And so what role does social media play? It's hard to tell, right? There's some things you can measure, but the measurement doesn't say, oh my gosh, this is going to be everything, right? And so it's somewhere in between that be all end all and hey, it doesn't directly lead to a sale. So it's not valuable. And just to build on what Chris said in terms of 
It's a touch point. It lets people know that you're alive, even though they're not reading, you know, maybe every single one of your tweets or LinkedIn posts or Instagram posts or whatever it is. They at least know you still have something going on and they might have that takeaway to realize. Like for us, a retail now is coming up, right? Or we have this special thing uh, that we have going on. And we've seen that from our reseller members as well, where they're talking about pushing out their brand, special things that they offer or, offer, or case studies that they take care uh, that they're taking care of their customers. They're just reinforcing uh, what that is. And so I just recommend to folks use, your, you know, when it comes to marketing, the data doesn't tell you everything, but it also doesn't tell you nothing. So track some of that data, see what's getting attention, but then also, you know, use your own judgment in terms of what you think is actually reinforcing your brand and it's free like chris mentioned those tools that we use that really reduces the amount of time that you have to invest in from a social media standpoint so if you're already producing content social media is just a great way to keep pushing out on a regular basis you don't have to share a case study only once you can share it over and over and over again and again there's no charge no matter if you want to post it on linkedin 10 times or one time you know you're still going to be able to do that for free Thank you. Thank you. And I feel like you've touched on it a little bit, but I'd like to know what would you consider success to be on social media? Uh, it's a good question. And so it de it, de it depends on a lot of things. That's part of when I was a consultant. You know, it's like, well, it depends. You know, that's the answer to to almost everything is if you have if you're just trying to get your name out there, um, that's a, a good thing. And it depends on what social media avenue it is as well. The one specific that I'll share to folks that I kind of use internally is if I post something on LinkedIn and it gets over a thousand views, I'm feeling like that's really good. And some of our more popular posts get 3,000, 4,000, 5,000. Now, somebody might say, oh, that's not like viral from a social media standpoint. But it really doesn't make that much of a difference if it's some massive number. And, and I'll share something with you that uh, I don't know if I've ever shared this story with you guys before, but so my daughter um, uh, goes to a school here in Raleigh, a new school she went to. Uh, she played field hockey. And so they have a tradition after they win a home game, they go around to the back of the school and they ring the victory bell. And I just think that's a pretty cool and neat tradition. Well, so I went and recorded that and then I posted it on, I can't remember where, but one of them was Instagram. Okay. And I tagged St. Mary's school. Not my demographic, right? You know, high school girls, right? That is not like the, the target audience I'm looking for. That thing has so many views, 15,000, 20,000. I mean, it is insane how many views that thing had. So somebody could look and go, wow, that was way more successful than the thousand you got on LinkedIn. But it was a bunch of, you know what I'm saying? High school girls across North Carolina and the greater area just checking out that video, right? And it wasn't a video that was really reinforcing anything, a message that I was trying to get across. So that's what I would say. It depends on the message you're trying to get across and it depends on the medium as well. So is it good to have that number? Sure, but is it more of a success than a LinkedIn post that I, I just shared about our new business development manager, John Grega, being hired and how the RSP is growing? That one got over a thousand views. I'm feeling better about that one from a business standpoint than I am, you know, something that just more people are seeing. So again, it's part the numbers, but it's also part, you know, what are you trying to get out of it and, uh, and who's the potential audience for it? Gotcha, gotcha. Thank you. Right. And then there is another myth that additional messaging is the answer to lagging results. So how do you respond when a new idea or strategy doesn't take off right away? Chris, we'll start with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I I think that's a great question, um, especially because as we all know, not everything's going to work. Um, and what I would say is, don't try to make something work. Um, just because it's not, don't be afraid to stop doing something, but always always give it its fair chance, and always be willing to adjust. Um, the way I always look at it is always try to get more personal. Um, to to the point of additional messaging, especially when you come from like an e-blast standpoint sending more messages, you might get a couple clicks here and there, but you're really just beating up the audience trying to make something happen. Um, so I, I think it's always getting closer, talking to your audience, um, learning what's going to take them, take it to work or or, um, or focusing on the elements of why it's not working. And then um, the way I look at it, when you try something new and something does fail, you're going to walk away smarter and it's going to help you make informed decisions going forward. Um, so always take those lessons learned and always, um, always try to create those failures because if you're not trying something new, then then you're not really growing. Is where I would say. Gotcha, gotcha. And Jim. Yeah, so I agree with what Chris said in terms of it's not let's do more of the same, just at a higher volume in terms of what we're doing, whether it's email or social media or uh, or any other marketing activity. Um, anybody who's a regular listener to this podcast knows I say all the time: try, test measure, adapt, right? And so we talk about, then you rinse and repeat, try, test, measure, adapt. We were just talking about that on a uh, community call earlier today. Plan A is not necessarily going to work, but as Chris said, if you keep learning from it and keep adjusting and trying new things, in the end, uh, you're going to be in, in in a better spot. So again, it depends on the number of the amount of feedback that you get. If the new idea is a colossal failure, and I think we might touch on some of those, some of mine uh, at least uh, later, um, then it's pretty clear, okay, this is not working at all. But for the most part, like Chris said, you learn something from it and adapt and you can learn um, what's... What is going to be effective? And then also it, it, from a labor standpoint, if you're able to make it semi-effective, but it's really light labor, then uh, you can probably keep doing it, especially if it's social media. But email, you've got to be a lot more targeted with that because people will not tolerate it. They'll turn you off. Gotcha. And I would say um, from my experience, um, you said a colossal failure. Most ideas are not a colossal fa failure, but like you said, learning and adapting from them. Um, you take a little piece of what you started with and and adapt and and more than likely it'll be a success from there. Right. And so we can give a little background, Ayana. So you're a South Carolina grad, right? And so we're recording this as, uh, you know, your alma mater is getting ready to play in the uh, in the final four. Chris and my our alma maters, their seasons ended uh, weeks and weeks ago. But in basketball, if a play doesn't work, they don't go, you know, Don Staley doesn't go, well, we're never running that play again, right? They're like, well, here's a little tweak. Here's something we can make. They go back and watch film. They have a wrinkle and adjustment on it. That's what great coaches do. That's what great leaders do. And that's what you have to do as a marketing leader is try something and then, you know, apply your expertise. Just don't throw your hands up in the air and give up on it. Absolutely. All right, now we had a little bit of a segue earlier, um, but now we're gonna talk about marketing mistakes. So Jim, start us off, uh, if you'd like to just confess a marketing mistake that you've made in the past. Uh, I've been in the professional uh, working world for over 30 years and I've yet to make a mistake. So this keep the streak going. Perfection. No, um, <laughs> No, I can go back and think of like, I was going back in one of the first marketing mistakes 
that I made, and this will kind of show my age um, as well. This is when I was at Business Solutions Magazine, and we were talking about all the new digital opportunities that were out there. So we were a magazine, and we said, man, there's a whole bunch of things that we can do. Um, podcasts and videos were some, there was social media, you know, there's this longer list of things. And so my initial response when somebody said, hey, we should do videos was, because I had worked a little bit in TV before, and I was like, man, that is really complicated. Like there is so much that goes into video from an editing and a presentation and a lighting and an audio and all this stuff. My response was, let's not try that, right? Like let's not do it at this point. Well, uh, one of our, one of my coworkers, one of our editors, he took the task of trying to convince me to do it. Again, the response that I should have had was, well, let's try test measure and adapt. But I was like, no, no, that just seems way too hard. And so our team ended up coming with the alternative. Again, this is going to show my age. Was some folks remember the flip video cameras? This is before everybody had, you know, a really good video on on your phone. And so we got flip videos had a big red button on the back, and we just learned in terms of when we would go to a trade show, we could shoot tons and tons of videos. And then the flip video also had a USB that would come out of the side of it, and you could jam it right into your laptop and download. Uh, all the videos right away. And so we went and ran that test and realized that I was wrong in terms of it's not as difficult as I thought it was going to be. I was going pro podcast. And so we did go down the podcast path. But getting back to what you said earlier about measuring things, the podcast listening audience was good. The video views that we had were exponentially more than what we had from a podcast standpoint. And so I look back and I was like, Oh, like I was dead wrong. And I had to say, I said that out loud to my team, probably to save myself from them pointing at me going, ha ha, you know, you were wrong. And so that I had said is, is, a, is a big marketing mistake that I'd made in the past of shutting off an avenue just because it, I didn't know enough about it or it didn't resonate with me. And I'm guessing a lot of our audience members might be able to think that same way as well. Like, I don't know, TikTok. Right. I don't know any of those. I don't know Snapchat, you know, or stuff like that. Could it be a good marketing avenue? Say I don't know rather than just the last word of that. No, because I don't have any experience with it. So that's what I would say is is a market mistake um, in terms of, again, being closed minded. Um, if something it sounds totally insane, you shouldn't go down that path, but it's just a, an ignorance thing on your part. Um, then go get some data, ask somebody else to go get some data and come back to you. Uh, just don't shut off that avenue. Thank you for that. Always, I'm hearing always be willing to learn and evolve. Uh, absolutely, because marketing in like we're recording this podcast in 2023, five years from now, people are going to listen to some things that we're saying and they're going to be like, that doesn't, you know, from a tactic standpoint, that's radically different today. They're going to be tools we don't even know about uh, today. So if you want to stay in place and not learn, your marketing plans are just going to slowly uh, become a failure because things keep changing. You've got to keep up with the change. Sure. And Chris, how about you? What mistake can you identify? Ooh, yeah, quite a bit. Uh, how long do we have? But no. Um, just, just thinking back, especially when I, I started back in 2017, as, a, as I was hired on mostly to do some social media, and um, and then I, it evolved more into a full-on marketing role, uh, I, I inherited kind of some things that we had done in the past, especially around email promotion. Um, back, in, back when I first started, probably in early 2018, we were doing 
a lot of promotional emails focused on sponsorship. Um, and these sponsor e-blasts were like dedicated blasts from just heavy sales pitches that we were sending out to our masses. Um, and while while the sponsors loved them, our audience wasn't too keen on it. And and, and it was hard as that new guy kind of kind of telling them, hey, these these aren't very well received, especially when you're challenging something that was producing revenue. Um, and I didn't quite know how to explain it to them. But I just kept on. I think we should stop doing these. And they're like, why? Why would we do those? They're making money. And uh, and Jim, I think's hit on it. You got to hug your facts and, and get your numbers. You can't just tell somebody something's not working. There's got to be data or something to prove why it's not working. Um, so what we did was we started to run a test and start to really track those analytics of those messages and, and even started talking to some of our audience members. Um, we would receive feedback. Like, why are you promoting this? Why are you pushing this to me? Why are you trying to force me to go with this this product? Um, but also looking at the numbers, um, the open rates would be high, but the click rates would be absolutely almost zero. Um, and, and we were able to to go back not only to our sales team, but to our sponsors and explain, hey, these aren't performing very well. And I think they're actually having the negative, uh, the reverse effect of what you think they are. Um, and what we did was um, we had figured out that if we combine their their product um, and their sponsored social media, I mean, their sponsored email messaging with some of our content, it was getting more engagement and getting more promotion. So that's why we developed our, our new newsletter. At that time, we were doing it once a month. Now we do it three times a month, and we've been able to actually increase the amount of sponsorship opportunities, and we've also been able to, to get better engagement than sending those, uh, those promotional sponsor blasts. So again, it's just getting close to your audience, hugging your facts, hugging your numbers, and also talking to the audience, but also finding resolutions to, to create um, a synergy for both. Gotcha. Okay, so it sounds like both of you were sticking with the, the try, test, adapt, try, test, measure, and adapt. Yeah, and if I can just say one thing that that is almost a precursor to that is humility. Right where you have to say, I could be wrong here, or I could be proven wrong, or something that I thought, it's not going the way that I wanted it to. And so there's, I mean, there's a lot of folks in the business world who they want to be right. They want to look good in front of their team. That doesn't last very long. So you have to have that humility to say, again, not, damn it, we're going to do this because I say so. It's, we're going to try this and we're going to adapt along the way. That's a way different approach than, you know, being confident and walking in. I had an old boss who said, uh, if you would have walked in the way you walked out, you would have walked out the way you walked in. So if you walk in with all this bravado, but then you're proven wrong, you kind of slink out of the room. But if you walk in the room going, hey, we're just going to test this thing out. I'd love to get everybody's feedback. Let's keep grasping that data. You're probably going to walk out of the room going, hey, we grasped the data, we learned some things, and we ended up being uh, a little bit better. So again, humility is a, is a precursor for a lot of this stuff from a marketing standpoint, because you are not going to be right out of the gate 100% of the time. Nobody is. The the, the marketing geniuses of the world, um, they don't even bat uh, close to 1,000. Gotcha. All right. Well, thank you for that. And we will now pause for a commercial. 
Sure. Like I said, we're uh, delegating, uh, moderating a panel and a discussion, Tayana, but not reading commercials. So uh, I'm back. Uh, maybe we should do this for all our guests, have them have them read the commercials, uh, dive in. So, all right. So we are going to pause here to let our listeners and viewers know about the Retail Solutions Providers Association. The RSPA is North America's largest community of VARs, software developers, vendors, and distributors in the retail, restaurant, grocery, and cannabis verticals. The RSPA is a perfect fit for any organization that's serious about growth in those markets. And an RSP membership has never been more valuable or more affordable. Annual memberships start at just $250 a year for VARs and $300 a year for software startups. Accelerate your success in the retail IT channel by joining the RSPA community today. I'm going to go with the longer versions of all the marketing stuff here because Chris and I, I'm thinking you guys won't mind that at all. I mean, we're all the marketing department, like by all means, all this stuff we prepared, why don't we uh, let it all go? Um, uh, also, we want to say thank you to our annual sponsors who support the RSPA community and make this podcast and video series possible. Our platinum sponsor is Blue Star. Our gold sponsors are Cocard, Heartland, ScanSource, and Star Micronics. To receive the benefits of an RSP membership or RSP sponsorship, Chris, where should our listeners email? Membership at GoRSPA.org. Very good. All right. And then finally, registration is open now for Retail Now 2023, the Retail IT Channel's number one trade show, education conference, and networking event. This year's event is set for July 30th through August 1st at the Gaylord Palms in Orlando. Ayana, what is the URL? What website should folks go to? should go to www.gorspa.org forward slash retail now. Very good. Retail now is where the industry meets. I think we are going to do that for future podcasts. We'll, we'll, we'll quiz the guests, see if they can get the correct URL and, and earn bonus points that way. So, all right, Ayana, uh, we're done at the uh, commercial desk. And like Chris said earlier, we integrate those commercials into our podcast as opposed to separate podcasts just with commercials. So back to you. Right. All right. Well, we've talked myths, we've talked mistakes, and now we're going to talk about mastery. So what strategy or tactic do you recommend to our audience? Chris, you'll go first. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've hit on it a little bit uh, throughout our conversation. Uh, I think it's really getting to know your target audience. Um, there's That's marketing 101. And I think Mark Fraker says it all the time, the riches are in the niches. So the closer you can get to the audience, the more you can walk in their shoes, the more you can to learn their language, you can speak it, the more likely you're going to be able to, to, to sell to them and get them to move. Um, and then after you get to know your audience, I think it's focusing on the right message to that audience. And like I said, if, if you can walk them out in their shoes, you're going to learn some of the, the key terminology that they say. I know that we're, we're an association full of acronyms. And if you can learn those acronyms and you can speak their specific ones, you know what's on their play sheet, uh, you're gonna be able to sell to them a lot better. Um, but, but that's what I would always recommend. There's no substitute to getting closer to your audience. Amen. And on the opposite side of that, what strategy would you say may not be the best fit for your audience? Yeah, one size message, um, it doesn't fit all. Um, email blasts are a great resource to provide air cover. Um, I think um, getting personal and, and targeting out even inside of your own target audience, um, having key messages for each group. Like we have different messages for our VARs, we have different messages for our ISVs and different messages for our vendors because they all speak a similar language, but they all have something different on their play sheet. Um, so I would always say try to avoid one size fits all 
as much as you can in marketing, but don't get too personal where they think you're big brother and you're watching in on them. Don't get that personal. Just try to personalize the message to the right to the right group. And Jen? Yeah, so uh, I'd recommend first, I just to echo what Chris said in terms of it is all about the audience. Like it has to start there. You can't say, I like this message or I like this headline or I want to do this or my coworker is saying I should do this. It has, you have to serve the audience. That's That's what you're doing there. And so to me, the two big things would be audience and then also keeping that message simple. And so one of the classic ones that I remember, I guess this is going all the way back to Again, I'm dating myself again, 1992. I'll ask what you guys are doing back in 1992 uh, later. But um, so 1992, James Carville was the uh, you know communications guy for uh, Bill Clinton uh, running for president. And the famous thing that uh, Carville told everybody was, it's the economy, stupid, right? That was his internal message to everybody. And it was all about the economy. And so every single thing, so they knew that's what their audience wanted to hear about was the economy. And so almost every message that they did hit the economy from a different angle. And so that's what I would say again, it's the audience, it's keeping it simple. And then you just over and over and over beat on those main points, like from every different angle that you can. So I'll give an RSPA example. So we are um, known as, um, as a reseller channel, right? As a VAR channel. And we definitely want to keep that message. And so like to Chris's point, we're always marketing that as well. But we also want software developers to know that they have a home in the RSPA. And so what are some of the things that we've done with that, right? We created an RSPA community, so we're able to promote that inside of our magazine. Every month we have a, a Connect magazine. We have a column that is dedicated to what's going on in the ISV community meetings. We also publish that online as well. We just came up with a list of our members that is our uh, our, our our software developer provider ecosystem. There's all sorts of, we've come up with niche documentation, uh, niche marketing materials for software developers. We have links on the website. You can just go right to our ISV community. And so that's the whole thing is, you know, it's that main point where we want ISVs to know you're welcome here. There are already ISVs here. That message also goes out to VARs as well because they want to be with, uh, they want to partner with ISVs. Vendors want to partner with ISVs. Distributors want to partner with ISVs. ISVs want to partner with other ISVs. So we have that, and we're just over and over and over from so many different angles promoting that same ISV message. And then we're doing it in a bunch of different vehicles as well. And again, it's not just a bumper sticker that says we have ISVs, but it is that it's kind of like a secondary message to what we're doing that people, any when they're engaging with a lot of our content from our RSP standpoint, you see ISVs in headlines and things of that nature. It would be hard for somebody to be exposed to the RSP for any period of time. And you ask them, does the RSP have ISVs? And then either say, I don't know or no, right? Because it's omnipresent. Same thing from a VAR standpoint, right? If somebody says, does the RSP have VARs, it'd be like, yeah, because it's really is is uh, it's really there on a regular basis. So again, what does your audience need? Keep the messaging simple, you know, what the point is, and just really, you know, uh, harp on it from every single angle. Create a lot of initiatives around that. Don't be scattered trying to describe yourself as a, we have a list of how many member benefits that the RSP, 15, 20, you know, member benefits. We cannot have a consistent message trying to talk about all those things together. We kind of bundle things together, have that one message and just keep uh, hitting it from a lot of different angles. So that would be my recommendation. Thank you.
All right, so we talked a little bit about how to respond when data does not perform well immediately. Uh, so let's dig into the testing cycle. How long do you test before you decide whether a marketing strategy is a success or a failure? Jim, what are your thoughts on this one? Uh, you might predict what I'm going to say where I said it depends. Um, I, and so it depends on how important the marketing initiative is to your success and the labor and the resources uh, that you're potentially put it, and then also the impact um, of of what it is. And so I guess a, a couple examples. So when Chris, and Chris was on the front lines uh, of these. So when we went to test how videos perform in our paid ads on LinkedIn, so that's getting super niche there, right, Chris, we might have run one or two videos, and then we compared that engagement to non-videos, and we had how many people telling us videos, everything's all about videos, people love videos. We were able to go pretty quickly because the engagement was very low compared to our non-video content to go, all right, that thing's not working, right? And so it was pretty clear to go, all right, that is not getting any traction whatsoever. Let's just go to where the traction is. So Chris, we might've run, how many do you think? Two videos, maybe three in that from the paid effort? Yeah, that, I would say we ran two or three, and like you said, engagement was low, and, and cost to get those engagements was way up compared. Yeah, and so we said, well, that's making it pretty clear to us. Why would we keep doing that? And so, you know, we were able to not spend uh, some money foolishly. But then when we were determining what's the best email system for us to use, where we'd look at, Chris, Constant Contact, HubSpot, and was it MailChimp? Was that the third one? That's correct. And so we ran test for how long chris two two quarters so half a year <laughs> all right yeah so half a year right and so and we started getting all sorts of data and but we wanted to make sure because emails are the lifeline for the rspa and because the results were fairly inconclusive and we didn't just want to test one system during june right before retail now when we're getting a lot of engagement and then test another one in september where it wouldn't be apples to apples we had a way longer uh, test there. So uh, again, you know, the decision of whether a marketing strategy is success or a failure, it depends on putting all of those factors together. And I'm a, just a big fan of critical thinking, like understanding the best practices, understanding the situation, all that test, 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 until it's like fairly clear to you um, what the right move is. I worked with somebody before and they said conviction comes from clarity. So if it's unclear to you what the right next step is, you've probably got to keep running that test um a, a little bit longer so um again i apologize for the long answer but that's kind of uh, i guess the the complete answer uh to answering that question it's not six weeks you know two months or something like that there's a lot of different factors that it depends on but it should be at the point when you get to the end of your test it's like duh like you know what i'm saying like it's really obvious there you don't want to pull the plug too soon you also don't want to go well we know how this is gonna gonna end up so Thank you. And I, I like the point you made about um, not only watching for the test and, and how long you do things, but also um, the the outliers that could could fall in the test. So like running the test from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, knowing that retail now could be an impact in that and, and measuring all options and not just a few things. So. Right. Every business has cycles to it. And so you need to know the internal cycles of your business in order to run, you know, a thorough 
test. And these marketing tests aren't like in a science lab, right, where there's no germs and you're in, you know, some suit and a hazmat, you know, hat or something like that. There's a lot of things that can pollute it. So you've got to recognize, uh, we've got to recognize those things and, and adjust appropriately. And Chris? Yeah, I think Jim hit on a lot of great points and, and not to sound like a, a fair weather either, but I think to his point, you got to give everything a fair chance. Um, you want the results to speak to you. Um, but when you're also talking about successful testing and strategy, I also don't think it's only about trying new things. I think it's also testing against your old platforms as well. Part of the reason we did our email uh, test that Jim was talking about is we've used Constant Contact um, well before I started. Um, and it's kind of our lifeline and our lifeblood to communicate to our members. So we want to make sure that it's the best that it can be. We already had good numbers, but we were trying to strive to be great. And we wanted to make sure that we were receiving the best of the best is why we went out to do that test. Um, so we actually, to Jim's point, we tested against three platforms and, and we ended up staying with Constant Contact because the results were pretty um, pretty good across the board. I think it's the RSPA brand that kind of keeps that engagement, but the platforms um, all perform fairly fairly lateral. and uh, but. We, we wouldn't have known that without trying. We would have just kind of, I, I would say it's kind of almost um, arrogance or maybe borderline ignorance from not testing because you don't know what you don't know. So um, always be a, always be willing to try something new and also always be willing to, to test against your own and, and make sure that you have the best platforms in place for your organization. Thank you. All right, and then we're going to close with actionable information for everyone who's watching and listening. So in about 60 seconds, what's the best marketing advice that you can give? And we'll start with Chris. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I just hit on it a second ago. Don't don't be afraid to try something new. Um, marketing efforts, as we've mentioned multiple times across uh, this conversation, marketing efforts can be measured. There's a lot of analytics that go into it. But on the on the flip side of marketing, we are in a creative role um, as we we we're, we hug our facts and we love numbers. But I think you also got to remember that uh, marketing is a very creative. There's an art to it. Um, and then you also got to remember that there's a new trend around the corner. As Jim mentioned here in four to five years, probably a lot of these things we're saying today are, are going to be out the window and, and we'll have new marketing best practices because we're not afraid to get out there and try new things um, and always be always be. Um, a student of the game is the way I like to focus. Uh, I'm always going out when we're at the events or whether we're on one-on-one -on -one conversations, just asking kind of new softwares, new technologies um, other marketers are using. Um, uh, I have the benefit of, of leading up our, our marketing committee with you, Ayana, and, uh, and that's another um, advice I'd give is get involved with groups of like-minded individuals. The marketing committee is a great opportunity. We meet about every four to six weeks to discuss not only what we're doing here at the RSPA, but we also open it up to an open forum group of about 40 um, of the retail leading um, marketers. Uh, and, and it's their opportunity to bring what's on their on their paper. They'll talk opportunities, they'll talk about best practices, and they'll also talk about challenges that they're running into. So uh, you can learn from others and uh, just always be, always be willing to, to change, try something new, and always be willing to, to lend an ear and lend advice to your to your fellow peers. And Jim, what's your what's your best advice? Well, one is uh, embrace new ideas, try new ideas, feel 
permitted to uh, throw something out there that might actually be dumb, but then somebody can go and, and shape it into something else. Like I'm thinking Chris and I should do this again, Ayana, but he and I should debate each other. Like we should be on the opposite side and just be arguing uh, with each other. Um, and again, that might be a dumb idea, but we joked about that one time before and we had a few podcasts where we did have a game or a competition or something like that. So don't be afraid to throw out new ideas and again, be humble enough to go, it couldn't be shot down or it could be shaped into something new. I'd also say, as we've touched on before, know your audience. Like you cannot, there's no substitute for getting closer to your audience. That is gonna refine your marketing messages. Your marketing messages should not be you guessing. It should be based on things you need to do internally and constantly bouncing that off uh, your target audience. And then I'd also say what we've just seen here on the show today is to delegate. And so even though I was the VP of marketing at the RSPA, right, there's been a ton of stuff that I've delegated to Chris and to Ayana, and then Chris has delegated stuff to Ayana as well, including here we are doing the podcast uh, today, right, like doing a live delegation. And it will take you out of your comfort zone uh, as somebody who's who's delegating it. But it's, as Chris and Ayana will say, for better or for worse, it's not like I've just abandoned it and been like, well, good luck, go get them, whatever, right? I've been involved in giving feedback along the way. But that, like we said earlier, if you want new ideas, have someone else propose some ideas as well. Have somebody else do the work and start doing the try, test, measure, and adapt. And you'll come up with things that are different from yours, but oftentimes better than yours. So if you were looking to uh, get some uh, new marketing messages, if you want your marketing to be more impactful, maybe everything shouldn't run through you as a business leader. Share a lot of the principles, share a lot of the lessons learned with your team and have them go and try, test, measure, uh, and adapt. So Again, to sum those up, new ideas, know your audience, and delegate, delegate, delegate. Absolutely. Well, thank you both um, offering your best advice. Um, and we're going to be moving on uh, to, the, to the end of the podcast here. Um, so that does it for this episode of The Trusted Advisor. We hope you enjoyed our discussion. If you did, please be sure to subscribe to the RSPA YouTube channel and the Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate if you'd rate us whenever you find your favorite podcast. And if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the retail technology industry, check out the RSPA blog. You can find it at goRSPA.org, then click on RSPA blog. Before we go, thanks again to Chris and Jim for sharing their advice with us today. Thanks also to jo Joseph McDade for our music. And last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the retail technology ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, please visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks everybody and goodbye.